Well, now we're going to turn to God's Word in Scripture. This morning's Scripture reading comes from the Old Testament book of Lamentations as we continue this month's sermon series, The Valley of the Shadow. All this month we've been talking about things that have been lost, the things that we've been grieving through the last six, seven months of this pandemic. As we conclude that series this morning, I've invited our friend and our neighbor, Pastor Greg Timmons of Calvary United Methodist Church to share with us one more passage from the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Okay. The roads of Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So 20 years ago, my wife and I moved down to Durham, North Carolina. We just got married and I was starting seminary at Duke University, an outstanding institution of basketball and higher learning. And we really loved our time down in North Carolina. It was a wonderful place to live. Of course, you know that we got to go and see a lot of really great basketball games. We also got to watch a lot of really good hockey during the years that we lived in North Carolina. Now, growing up in the UP, I was a big hockey fan. I loved the Detroit Red Wings. And you got to remember that when I was in high school and in college, those were, those were the peak years for the Red Wings hockey team. Those were the years when it seemed like the Red Wings went back to the Stanley Cup finals year after year after year. I loved, when I was in high school and in college, I loved watching the Detroit Red Wings play hockey. Of course, I never got to see them play in person. Living in the UP, it was about a 10-hour drive from my house to Joe Lewis Arena, and, and that was just too far for my mom to let me go on a school night. And sometimes it was even difficult for us to watch the Detroit Red Wings on TV. There were a lot of games that the Wings played that, that weren't carried by our local TV stations. And so if I wanted to, to watch the Detroit Red Wings play, I had to drive to the next town over, which, because we lived in the UP, was a 56-mile drive. But there were a lot of nights, a lot of weeks, when, when I made that 56-mile drive just so I could watch the Detroit Red Wings play hockey on, on a friend's television set. I loved, I loved watching the Red Wings play when I was in high school and when I was in college. I never got to watch them play in person until I moved to North Carolina. And when my wife and I moved to Durham, we were thrilled to discover that our new home was just a few miles down the road from the arena where the Carolina Hurricanes played hockey. And of course, Carolina at that time and still to this day is not hockey country, that's NASCAR country, which meant that there were often cheap tickets available even at the last minute for Carolina Hurricanes hockey games. And so even though we were living on a newlywed graduate student budget, my wife and I were able to go and watch the Red Wings play every time they came to town. We loved watching the Red Wings play at that arena. One of the things I discovered is that, that watching hockey live and in person is every bit as glorious as I had always thought it would be. Watching on TV just can't give you any sort of a sense of how fast and how graceful these players are. It was incredible to finally get to watch some of my childhood heroes play hockey in person. And then in 2002, a sort of miracle happened because that year, both the Carolina Hurricanes and the Detroit Red Wings made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. 
I couldn't believe it. I was pinching myself. Here, my Detroit Red Wings were going to play for the Stanley Cup just a few miles from my house. I suddenly was tantalizingly close to reaching what, what had always previously seemed to be an, an impossible dream. There was a chance that I might actually get to watch Sergei Fedorov, Steve Iserman, Nicholas Lidstrom, Brendan Shanahan play for and maybe even win a Stanley Cup live and in person. Now, I knew that if I were living back in Michigan, there's just no chance that, that an ordinary Joe like me was ever going to have a chance at, at getting tickets for, for the Stanley Cup finals. But remember, North Carolina wasn't hockey country. I was living in NASCAR country, and so I figured that maybe, maybe, just maybe down there, an ordinary guy like me might actually have a shot at getting a ticket to watch the Detroit Red Wings play for the Stanley Cup. And so I started watching and listening for any kind of announcement about how they were going to sell and distribute the tickets. And then one day I heard on the news that on such and such a day, at 8 o'clock in the morning, the Carolina Hurricanes Arena box office was going to open up and sell finals tickets on a first-come, first-served basis. I was excited when I heard that because I had already spent a lot of time perfecting my camp out, wait in line for basketball ticket strategy at Duke University. And so I felt like I had been training for this. I felt like I was ready to camp out in that line all night and, and be one of the first people in line when they opened that door to start selling the tickets. And so my wife and I, the night before tickets went on sale, we went over to the arena with all of our camp out, wait in line gear. And, and we pulled into the parking lot and we got in line there at the box office. We thought maybe we would be the first people in in line, but it turns out we were not the only people who had the idea that, that it would be a good idea to camp out in line and, and be at the front of the line when the box office opened because we were, we were maybe 100 people back from the front of the line. But we figured there were 18,000 seats in that arena. And so being about number 100 in line gave us a really good shot at actually scoring ourselves a couple of Stanley Cup final tickets. And as the night went on, and as hundreds and hundreds of cars poured into that parking lot and thousands and thousands of people got in line behind us, the more people got in that line behind us, the better, the better we felt about our chances of getting tickets and, and our decision to get there really, really early. And as morning approached and as 8 a.m. started coming nearer, you could feel a crackle of excitement and energy there in the line among all those thousands of people who were waiting, hoping to, to score a couple of tickets. And then at 8 o'clock in the morning, the door at the front of the line at the, the ticket box office opened up and a great big shout went up from all of those thousands of people and everybody kind of pushed a little bit forward. But then, then there was a sort of a, a rumbly, grumbling noise that started moving from the very front of the line and all the way towards the back of the line. As people started turning around and saying to the people who were waiting behind them in line, go home, go home. There are no tickets available. We all just have to go home. Well, my wife and I, we couldn't believe it. And so we, we pushed our way up to the front of the line, to the door of the box office, where a man with a red face wearing a suit kept explaining the same thing over and over again. There were no tickets available. There never had been any tickets available. All of the tickets had already been sold to the Hurricanes corporate sponsors. The whole thing, the whole event, had just been one great big publicity stunt. 
And then all of those people, all of those thousands of people who had waited all night in line got into their cars and then we had to wait for an hour and a half as all of us all at the same time tried to make our way out of that crowded parking lot. And as I sat there in my car, as I sat there feeling this, this dream that I had been so close to starting to slip through my fingers, as I sat there in my car surrounded by all of those other angry people, can you imagine how I felt? Of course you can. You don't have to imagine how I felt in that moment because in that moment I was feeling exactly the same sort of disappointment that you and I have felt over and over and over again for the last six or seven months of 2020. Now, the year 2020 has been a year filled with disappointment after disappointment. As we look back on 2020, as we mourn and grieve and name the things that have been lost in the last few months, one of the things that we're mourning, one of the things that we're grieving is all of those moments of disappointment, all of those events that were canceled, all of those dreams that slipped through our fingers, all of those concerts and sporting events and plays that, that never happened. Now, in our own family, just in, in my family, we've got a long list of things that, that never happened this year because of the pandemic. Now, right around this time a year ago, my daughter started working with a friend. They decided that they were going to write a musical. And so they spent months, night after night, staying up late into the night, talking on the phone, writing lyrics, composing music, working to fine-tune a plot. And then after months of working to, to write this musical, they convinced their school drama club to perform this musical. And so then there were weeks of rehearsals and, and sewing costumes and creating props for the play. And then the very week that they were going to premiere this, this first ever world premiere of, of their original musical, this work of dramatic art, suddenly that very week, all of the schools got shut down and they never opened up again. And the play was, was never performed. And for my son, the highlight of every spring and every summer is getting to pitch for his rec league baseball team. But this year, his entire season was canceled. He didn't get to pitch or play in a single game. And both of my kids grew up at Camp Lake Louise up north in, near Boyne, Michigan. Every summer, they go up there and they get to see their friends at elementary camp and then at middle school camp. They've never missed a year of camp at Lake Louise, but this summer, their camps were canceled. And they didn't get to go to camp for the first time ever. And of course, the United Methodist Church has had its share of disappointment this year as well. This year in 2020, the United Methodist Church was scheduled to have a global general conference, a gathering of Methodist leaders from all around the world. And at that general conference, there's a good chance that there was going to be a, a vote to split the United Methodist Church into two or more denominations. If that conference had happened, there is a good chance that right now you and I would be living in a United Methodist Church that finally fully embraced the ministries and marriages of our LGBTQ siblings. But the general conference was postponed, and so United Methodists, people who have waited for so many decades, now are waiting for another year. Every one of us, every family in our church, every 
person who hasn't sat in these pews for the last six or seven months could rattle off a laundry list of disappointments, canceled events, concerts that didn't happen, sporting events that were postponed, things, things that have caused us pain and grief in the last six or seven months. And this wave of disappointment that the year 2020 has brought us hasn't finished with us yet. You know, we are even now getting ready in the last week of October to celebrate a Halloween unlike any Halloween that any of us have ever experienced. In an ordinary year, right now, there would be a huge pile of candy in the, in the entryway of the parsonage waiting for the seven or 800 trick-or-treaters who come by our house every, every Halloween night looking, looking for candy. We don't have big boxes of candy at the parsonage this year. We're not going to do trick-or-treating in our neighborhood this year because the Michigan Health Authorities have determined that trick-or-treating is a high-risk activity. And so our kids, for the first time, aren't going to have the opportunity to trick-or-treat in the neighborhood that they live in. Imagine the disappointment that hundreds, thousands of kids in Flint are feeling right now. Halloween is going to be different this year. The other day I was on social media and I saw somebody talking about how Halloween is going to be different this year. And this person on social media, somebody I don't know, but somebody whose post got shared by a friend. This person said, yes, Halloween is going to be different this year, but, but can we stop letting our kids wallow in the sadness of 2020? Maybe instead of talking about how disappointing and different Halloween is going to be this year, maybe we should teach our kids to have a better attitude and we should teach them how to show some grit and to make the best out of a difficult situation. Maybe it's time for us to stop, stop talking about how sad and difficult this year has been. I try not to get sucked into arguments, difficult conversations on social media. You know, I've, I've shared with you in the past that, that that's my general rule. It's been difficult this year. I haven't kept to that rule as much as I, I would like to. Election years, it's always difficult to stick to these rules and guidelines that I set for myself. But still, I don't like to get sucked into, into arguments on social media. I don't feel like they generally do anybody any good. They just leave everybody angry and upset with each other. But when I saw that post about how our kids just have to have a good attitude and suck it up and make the best out of a difficult situation, I felt like I had to respond. Maybe I felt like I had to respond because that post spoke so directly to the very reason that we have been having this sermon series this month. We have learned, we have learned that grief in God's hands can be a tool for healing. We have learned that good grief in God's hands can be a tool that the Holy Spirit uses to carry us through a difficult time and bring us back to wholeness. And we're having this sermon series this month because we have learned that when we don't take the time to grieve, when we push our sadness away, that grief and sadness comes back to haunt us in more hurtful ways. It comes back in the form of anger. It comes back in the form of addiction. It comes back in the form of depression. And so all this month, we've been taking the time to name the things that we have lost and to, to grieve the, the things that have happened in the last six months. Because we believe that as we walk through the valley of shadows, we discover that God is with us. We come to know God as a shepherd. So I responded to that, that post and I said some of the things to the person who posted this thing on Facebook that I, 
I just shared with you. And then I said, you know, my worry right now is not that we've been letting our kids wallow in sadness and grief. My worry right now is that we have been so intent on powering our way through this pandemic. We have been so focused on teaching our kids how to use Chromebooks and how to do a whole new style of online learning and education that we haven't actually given them permission in time and space to feel the sadness that they would naturally be feeling at a moment of such deep disappointment and difficult loss. My fear right now is that we haven't actually taken the time to, to say to our children, you know what, it's okay to feel sad that the play never happened. It's okay to feel sad that your baseball season got canceled. It's okay to feel sad that you haven't seen your friends in months. We've learned that grieving Grieving is a tool in God's hands. It's, it's a process that can actually bring us closer to God and, and cause us to grow stronger in our faith. If only, if only we take the time to allow that sadness to actually reach our hearts instead of holding it at arm's length. It's true for children. It's true for adults. It's even true for God's prophets. All this month that we've been working our way through this sermon series, we've been hearing passages from the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Now, the book of Lamentations is a strange little book, a collection of five poems tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament. Tradition tells us that those five poems were written by the prophet Jeremiah in a moment of national disappointment and grief and loss. The prophet Jeremiah wrote those poems just after the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the mighty Babylonian army. As Jeremiah was walking through the streets of that ruined city, taking, taking account of all of the destruction and devastation that had happened to this place that he called home, Jeremiah started writing these poems, these laments, talking about all of the loss and the grief that he was feeling in that moment. And as he did, he talked not just about the lives that had been lost, not just about the property that had been destroyed. He also, Jeremiah also took the time to mourn and to grieve for all of the joyous gatherings, all of the festivals and events that were about to be canceled, all of the things that, that make life so worth living, that make life so enjoyable, that make life so rich, all of those things that were about to not happen for the first time in who knows how many decades or centuries. In his very first poem, the prophet Jeremiah imagines that the city itself is mourning because of all the things that were about to not happen in that city. In his first, first poem, the prophet Jeremiah says, the roads into the city are mourning because nobody is walking along them. No happy feet are hurrying along those roads, rushing to get in line for a joyful event or a festival or a gathering. The gates of the city are abandoned, Jeremiah says. The priests are groaning. Young girls in the city are grieving because the lot of the city is bitter. The prophet Jeremiah understood the healing power of grief and sadness. He understood that sometimes as we walk through the valley of shadows, we, we discover that God is with us and we learn to know God as a shepherd. 
The prophet Jeremiah understood the power of, of grief. He understood that sometimes in a difficult situation, the best thing we can do is to listen to our pastor's groan and give our young girls permission to grieve. And so that's what we're going to do today. Today, one more time, we're going to hear a, a lament, a poem written in the style of the prophet Jeremiah by a member of our Court Street Church family. Today, our guest poet is going to be my own daughter, Celia. I've invited her to write a poem and share with us about some of her experiences and some of the things that she's had to mourn in the last six months. My hope is that as she shares her poem and her experiences with you, you will open your heart and let her sadness become your sadness. And in this moment, reach out to God. Discover that God is walking beside us. Discover that we do have a shepherd watching over us. Discover that even in the valley of shadows, there is no evil that should cause us fear. Already, I cannot remember the last time I shook a hand before when we shook hands without hesitation, craved that simple human touch. Do I even remember the way it was before? Even remember what it was like to sing hymns in church? Fight though I do to keep those moments, the details are beginning to cloud. Go back to normal? Ha! How could I? How could we? I do still remember that last robotics practice. Just the next few days off school, we were told. Keep working. Don't you realize you only have a month to worlds? Listen, it's no big deal. Moments before leaving, we heard the news. No world tournament this year, they said. Overreacting, we said. Push it back a few weeks, we said. Quite the permanent decision to make when this should be over by summer. Robotics was only the beginning of the end, our first glimpse, seeing what was to come. Then the musical, scheduled for the very next week, was postponed indefinitely. Until further notice, no trip to D.C., no book bowl competition. Visions and plans refined for months, swept away in a week. Who among us remembers clearly the days before masks and hand sanitizer? Senial moments of kinder years? Years. That's how long it feels has passed, zipping from one moment, one change, to the next. 